But I would invite you to follow along as you are standing just in honor of the word of God together. Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. The scriptures say this. When they, speaking of the Magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. When he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. May the Lord add his blessing this morning to the reading of his word. Appreciate you standing in honor of his word. You may be seated now. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning as we have sought the Lord's presence and worshiped him together. So we are in now picking up the series that we started very briefly Um, at the end of 2022, uh, on the book of Matthew. And uh, we looked at the first uh, chapter and a half, looking at the birth of the king. And today finishes this little subsection of the book of Matthew on the birth of the king. Today we want to talk about the preservation of the king, the preservation of the life of Jesus. And so where we've been The genealogy of Jesus has been given to show that he was the promised one that was going to come fulfilling uh, the promise to Abraham and fulfilling the promise to David that there would be a ruler on uh, the throne of David forever and ever and that he would be the blessing for all nations as Savior. We looked at the birth of Jesus. He was Emmanuel, God with us. We looked at the Magi on Christmas Day coming. And so now we pick up here in chapter 2, verse 13, as we talk about the preservation of the king. So when I was playing basketball in high school, one of the things that we would always do, the coaches would coach on two different levels. They would coach on the court level, where you would run drills and you would have plays and you would be working all of these things out and there would be coaching individually. We need to do this. These are your spots. This is your position. This is what you do in your position. And this is how we are running our offense. This is how we are running our defense. These are our inbound plays, out-of-bounds plays. All of these things were handled on the court level. The coach would walk us through and teach us how we were going to play as a team. But after every game... Usually the day after every game, we would have film sessions 
where we would gather and there would be a, a recording of the game that was taken from the top of the bleachers in the gym. So it was looking down from on top, looking down on the court so that we could see not just what I was doing or what one of my teammates was doing in their own area, but we could see the whole court. We got the high view. We got the, the, the above view to see everything. And so therefore, we were able to, to take the things that we were learning on the one-on-one kinds of interactions and see how it fit into the bigger perspective. There was value in both. One without the other was not going to be complete. We needed both. In this passage this morning, we want to look at two views. We want to look at kind of a, an earthly view of the story of Jesus and the preservation of his life, the preservation of the king, on how it played out on an earthly level, and therefore what that applies, how that applies to our lives, some actions that we can take in the midst of the world around us today. But then we want to zoom out and we want to look at a heavenly view. We want to see what is going on bigger, how this earthly and how this individual account of Jesus' life and the preservation of his life, how it fits into the bigger picture of what God is doing. And we'll take some application from that this morning. So two views with two main application points this morning. There are sermon notes that you can follow along, fill in blanks if you are a note taker. So let's begin with this earthly view. And I got the wrong title on there. My bad. That's how I cheat. I just take the one from last time and then I fill it in. So, so just ignore that. It's preservation of the king. The earthly view. Let's look at the earthly view together. In verses 13 and 16, read it again. When they had gone, speaking of the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. So it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. This earthly view, we see this need for Jesus, for Joseph and Mary, to flee. As we pick up this birth narrative, the Magi have come. They've been warned in a dream in chapter 2, verse 12, that we looked at on Christmas Day, not to go back to Herod, but instead to head home another direction. And Herod, as he is waiting for them to come, but they never come, and he told them to report back to him so that he could go and worship the king. He had the ulterior motives to eliminate the Christ, to eliminate Jesus, to eliminate the king of the Jews because his power would be threatened by him. And realizing that he had been outwitted by the Magi is furious. And he issues the decree that all the boys in Bethlehem And in the surrounding vicinity, two years old and under, were to be killed. He did this to eliminate his competition, to eliminate the king. As all of this was unfolding, Joseph, as he was warned in a dream, 
or told in a dream to take Mary as his wife, is warned by, in a dream by an angel of the Lord as well that Herod was going to do this. And he was told, go down to Egypt. And in Egypt, in Alexandria, scholars believe that at that time there were about a million Jews that were living in Alexandria in Egypt at that time. And so the angel of the Lord warns them, this is what is going to happen. There is going to be, Herod's action is going to come. Your child, Jesus the Christ, is in danger. Take Mary, take Jesus, and flee. Get out of here before this takes place. And so Joseph is obedient, and he takes Mary, and he takes Jesus, and they flee to Egypt. God is at work preserving the life of Jesus, preserving the life of the king. We see the need to flee on this earthly view, but we also see the sorrow of suffering in all of this. Verses 17 and 18 says, And this was what was said through the prophet Jeremiah. It was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Great sorrow, you can imagine, filled the land. Scholars believe that there were probably somewhere in, in how this, they figured all this out, but in that region, they believe that there were probably 30 to 40 children who would have been murdered by Herod. And great sorrow is filling that area. And Matthew links it back to what was taking place in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. When Rachel, who rabbis would call the mother of Israel, the wife of Jacob, the mother of Benjamin, who died in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. Scholars and rabbis would call her the mother of Israel. And so in Jeremiah chapter 31, where this original scripture was, it is in the midst of the time when Jeremiah is prophesying the Babylonian captivity and that Rachel is weeping. The mother of Israel, even though she is dead, metaphorically is weeping over Israel as they are carried off to captivity. But Matthew says there's also a further and a secondary fulfillment of that scripture. And that is that in that time, in Ramah, in that area, there would be weeping. And so it was fulfilled, Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel refusing to be comforted. Bitterness, sadness, the sorrow of suffering as these children were murdered. We see in this earthly view the sorrow of suffering, but we see also the hope of return. In that passage in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, the verses following, there is a also prophecy of the remnant coming back. The exiles in Babylon would be coming back to Israel one day. There is hope. And we see hope played out in verses 19 to 23. Herod, after he dies, an angel of the Lord again appears in a dream to Joseph, not in Israel, but now in Egypt, and says, get up, take the child and his mother, and go back to the land of Israel. Return. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. And so he got up and he took the child and his mother and they went to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid, thinking his son is going to be just like the father. 
And so, being warned in a dream, again, third dream in this account, he, was, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Herod dies. The angel appears again. And Joseph does what he is told, bringing Jesus and Mary back to Israel. The hope of return was fulfilled. We see the danger. On this earthly level, we see the danger that caused the need to flee. We see the sorrow associated with the suffering of Jesus, and we see the sorrow associated with the children that were murdered during Herod's reign, and we see the hope that came upon return. We need to recognize in this passage, as we look at an earthly view, that there are some commonalities for Jesus with many in our world today. Many in our world today are in the need to flee, are dealing with the sorrows of suffering, are dealing with the hope that one day they will return. These are people who are refugees, people who are immigrants, people who are migrants, people who are going to another place, not because they necessarily want to, but because they need to. We need to understand that in the context of what Jesus was going through on this earthly level, that Jesus himself was a refugee. Jesus was a refugee. And Israel, as we will see in a moment, also knew what it was like to be refugees. They also knew what it was like to be foreigners in a land that was not their own. And the experience that they had shaped God's command for how they were to live out their relationships with other people who would come to their land in the future. How they were to care for them because of their own experiences. Five times in the first five books of the, the law, called the Pentateuch or the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, five times we see the phrase, you were once in Egypt. You were once aliens and strangers. The fifth time, is here in this passage, and it gives direction for Israel, but it also gives direction for us on an earthly application for real-world situations that we see today. God tells the people this. Do not deprive the alien, that's the immigrant, the refugee, those who are coming to your land, those who are living in your land, but that isn't their homeland. Do not deprive the alien or the fatherless of justice. Or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That's why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. So that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands passage continues. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. 
When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Again, the Lord says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. This, that is why I command you to do this. The motivation for how we as believers, for how Israel was to care for those who were coming to their land, who were living in their land and it wasn't their homeland, was because they themselves understood what it was like to not be living in their homeland. They themselves knew what it was like to be fleeing because of danger. They themselves knew what it was like to live in sorrow. They themselves knew what it was like to hope for a better life. And so God instructs them, this is how you are to live. This is how you are to care for people in this situation. So let's talk for a moment. How do we respond? We see Jesus in this place. We see God's preservation. How do we respond? How do we react to the situations that are coming in our own land as people are fleeing, as people are in the sorrow of suffering, as people are hoping to return one day to their own land? I want to give you four actions, and they're all ours. So if you want to write down extra notes, you can do this. Here are four action steps I think we can take on this earthly view application. The first R is to respond. Respond to refugees, immigrants, migrants, whoever it may be, with love and compassion. It's about a heart position. It's about a view of how we see people. Respond with love and compassion. We can ask the Lord for eyes to see people in these circumstances as God does. People fleeing in sorrow because of suffering with the hope of return. So we can respond with love and compassion. Second R would be this, and that is recognize. Recognize this, that the solutions to these issues are complex, and are more than any of us know and understand. <laughs> They're complex and more than we know or understand. So here's, the, here's a step that we can take. Pray for our leaders to have godly wisdom. I don't know the answers to all of these situations. I don't think you know the answers to all these situations. And I don't know that our leaders know all the answers to these situations. So pray. Pray for godly wisdom for them. The third R is this. So respond with love and compassion. Second, recognize solutions are complex. Third R is this, refuse. Refuse to get entangled with the politics of it all. Refuse to get entangled with the, politicians of, or with the politics of it all. Understand that politicians, pundits, cable news networks, all of them have agendas. And when there are agendas, there can, people can easily be used. Crises can easily be used for gain. And Christians need to rise above that. Rise above it. If your view is because of a political position, rise above that. Rise above it. We're better than that. We are better than that. Respond with the heart of Jesus. Recognize the solutions are complex, refuse to get entangled, 
And then the last R, responsibility. Take responsibility as the Lord leads you. Mara, on a number of occasions, has talked about the fact that she goes down on Monday to work with refugees. You may or may not be aware that Pittsburgh is a resettlement city. And so there are refugees from Somalia, from Syria, from Afghanistan. In the last year, there's been, what, near a 1,000 or so Afghan refugees that have been brought And that's in addition to all the Syrian refugees that were here before and the Somalian refugees. And there are a number of other people groups in Pittsburgh. There is great need. Great need. Michelle works with a woman from Burma. There is great need in our city. And so sometimes we look at it and we're like, oh, that's such a big issue. And oh, that's there. And that's far away. And oh, this is complex. And I don't know what to do. If the Lord is stirring and you're like, I need to do something. Mara can help you figure out what that something is as the Holy Spirit might prick your heart. There's need for relationship. There's need for love and compassion. There's need for English teaching. There's need for paperwork and citizenship and all those kinds of things that need to take place for the people who are here, not because they want to be, but because they were forced into it because of danger. And in sorrow and suffering, and with the hope of one day maybe I can return, they live among us. May our hearts be filled with compassion. May we recognize the messiness of the situations and the solutions, refusing to get caught up in the politics and all of that, but instead seeing how we might be able to take responsibility for our friends who are here. An earthly view. An earthly view of this passage. We want to scan out a little bit more then to look at an heavenly view. Look at the heavenly view of what is going on. Well, all these events happened on earth, and I gave you some options of ways that you might be able to respond and live out in the midst of this application here on earth. There's a larger story in this passage that's being told. One that requires a heavenly view to be able to see it. And it's the story of Israel. Jesus' life mirrors what happened hundreds of years before that in an event called the Exodus. Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's history. He is the one that was prophesied to come and was promised to come to bring salvation for Israel and for the nations. And so while the earthly view allows us to see the smaller story of Jesus' life and how that can give us direction on how we face the issues of today, there's a larger heavenly story going on. And so let's look at that for these last few moments. The heavenly view, we see the need for protection We saw it in Jesus. He needed preservation. He needed protection from Herod and was taken down to Egypt. So in Israel's story, so in Israel's history, there was the need for protection. There was the need for preservation. If what God had promised in the garden to the serpent and to Eve that the seed of the child would want, or the seed of the woman would one day crush the head of the serpent, if there was going to be the preservation 
of Israel. If there was one day going to be the preservation of the promise given to, to Abraham that a nation would come and that all nations would be blessed, Israel was in a place where they needed protection, where they needed preservation. Because there was a terrible famine at the end of Genesis, the book of Genesis, there was a terrible famine in the land. Prior to this, one of Jacob, who was later renamed Israel by God, one of his children by the name of Joseph, you may know the musical Joseph in the amazing Technicolor dream coat. Joseph was the youngest child. He was looked at very favorably by his father, and his brothers were jealous. And he kind of knew it. He got, some, he got some dreams of all of his brothers coming and bowing down to him one day, and his brothers didn't like that very much. So one day when he was sent off to check in on them, they saw an opportune time and they threw him in a pit and they ended up selling him off into slavery in Egypt. Meanwhile, convincing their dad, Jacob, that he had been eaten and, and killed by a wild animal. They brought his coat back bloody and torn. And what was terrible for Joseph was actually working out for good in the history of God's people. Because as he went off, he had some rough years. He spent some time in prison. He, did, he was accused of things he never did. But yet God used him by giving him dreams, used him to be able to prepare the land of Egypt for seven years of bounty in preparation for seven years of harsh famine. And so he was the only one in the whole land who was able to interpret the dream that was given to Pharaoh to understand what was coming. And Pharaoh put him in charge, second in all of the nation in power. And he oversaw the storing of the seven years of bounty. And when the famine came, was in charge of distributing the provision for those seven years of extreme famine. And it's in that time that Jacob and his family are going through harsh famine that they hear of what is going on in Egypt and they go down. And in the course of the story, God uses Joseph to be able to provide for the family of Jacob, for his brothers, redeems that whole brokenness and Jacob and his family come down to Egypt and live. They are blessed tremendously. The family of Israel grows and grows and grows to the point that a couple pharaohs later did not realize and did not remember the story of how Joseph was used and how they had, the people of Israel had been given this prime land and they became so plentiful in the land that Pharaoh got nervous. And he saw this people growing in power and influence and he was afraid that one day they might overtake him. So he enslaves them. Out of the need for protection for food, they now come into the need for protection because they are in bondage. They are in slavery. The need for protection from famine turns into the need for protection from the bondage of slavery, but it also brings about the sorrow of bondage. The slavery intensified. The sorrow of the bondage was heavy upon the people. And they cried out to God. During this time as well, Pharaoh, nervous of this growing people, made the decree that all the young boys were, be, 
were to be killed. Sound familiar? It mirrors the story of Jesus. But there was one boy who was preserved. He was put in a little reed basket and placed in the Nile River, found by the daughter of Pharaoh and her attendants, and raised in Pharaoh's own household. His name was Moses. God preserved this little boy who eventually was raised up some 80 years later to come back to Egypt after his own harsh times in the wilderness to lead Israel out of the sorrow of bondage. God had raised up a deliverer. God had raised up a savior. God had raised up one to rescue them. The sorrow of bondage and slavery was there. That bondage, if we zoom out even farther, was not just about slavery. It represents the bondage that we all live under. The bondage of sin. The sorrow and bondage of sin leads us to being enslaved. It hinders us and it ultimately leads us to a place of death, both physical and spiritual. It is a result of the sin of our first parents, our original parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden. This bondage of sin and the power of sin on us brings great sorrow. But just as God raised up Moses for the hope of salvation and being led out of the wilderness or out of Egypt into the wilderness and ultimately into the promised land one day, God has raised up another savior. God has raised up another king and his name is Jesus. The one who would ultimately go to the cross. The one who would ultimately lay down his life after taking, though innocent, taking our sin and our guilt upon himself to die and be resurrected three days later. Jesus' life and Moses' life, our slavery and Israel's slavery, our hope for salvation and Israel's hope for salvation, there, is the, there are these parallels and we see the bigger picture at play. Jesus, the Savior, his life preserved. Friends, Jesus is that fulfillment. He is the fulfillment of Israel's history and he is the, the fulfillment of all of history. While Israel went through the terrible bondage and slavery in Egypt, all of humanity lives under the bondage and slavery of sin. And like Herod and like Pharaoh, the one who has been behind all of them is Satan, who has been at work throughout history to try to stop God's deliverance plan. But praise be to God, he is the great preserver. He is the great deliverer. He protected Moses he protected Jesus so that Israel would be delivered and so that all who would trust in the name of the Lord would be delivered and saved from the power and bondage of sin. Is that good news? 
On an earthly level, Jesus' story gives us direction on how to live. But on a heavenly level, we see a much bigger story, a much even more glorious story of how God has been at work in all of history and how he has sent his son, Jesus. We should stand in awe this morning that the king of kings would become so vulnerable as a child. But yet the preservation of the father so that the son would grow up, so that the son would demonstrate the father and show us his glory, so that the son would show us the ways of the kingdom and so that the son would go to a cross where our sin was placed upon him so that we would be delivered from the bondage of sin. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So we want to close this time. We'll close in a song in a moment. We just want to have a few moments of prayer together. A few moments where we would listen to the Holy Spirit on two levels. One on that earthly level. How do we respond seeing Jesus in the state that many people in our world find themselves in. How do we respond? What is the Holy Spirit pricking our heart with? And then we want to listen to the Holy Spirit as well for that heavenly view. What is he doing? How is he applying that to each of our lives together? So we want to practice this in listening prayer together, going to the Lord. I'll lead us through some uh, directions together, but we just want to listen individually to what the Holy Spirit would be applying this word to our lives. So Father, we do give you thanks. You are the great preserver. We worship you. We celebrate you. We rejoice in your promises and the ways that you always fulfill them. And so, Father, we, we see the experiences of Jesus. We see his need for protection from danger. We see the sorrow of the land. We see the hope of return, and we recognize that Jesus understands what so many in this world go through. And we thank you for that. We thank you that we have a Savior who is not unfamiliar with our sufferings. God, would you give us direction on how we respond to the sufferings of refugees and immigrants and migrants of our day? So, Holy Spirit, if it's our response in the way that we view these people, would you prick our hearts and give us love and compassion? If it's a recognition that we need to pray for the leaders of our land in the midst of these difficult situations. Would you give us a heart for prayer for them? If, Lord, we've been tangled up in the political views of all of this, would you give us grace to repent and to stay above all of that? If there's a step of responsibility that you're taking in, that you're leading us to take, would you give us direction? Would you even guide conversations with Mara or others who are at work in these areas in our own city? Holy Spirit, would you take these possibilities and 
even others. In a moment of silence, would you speak? Holy Spirit, would you direct us also on how to apply this heavenly view of what the Father has been doing throughout all of history in bringing salvation to the world. And so even today, if there are some today that have not found deliverance from the bondage of sin and have trusted Jesus to be Savior and King over their lives, Holy Spirit, would you bring that need and that awareness that they would cry out to Jesus for salvation? And Holy Spirit, if there are any today who are saved, who have trusted you, but are still bound by the power of sin in an area of their lives, Jesus, would you bring freedom? and give direction on how to walk in that freedom in greater ways. Holy Spirit, be free to speak in this area. And Lord, for all of us, we do rejoice in the great salvation that you have provided for us in Christ, for that powerful lifting of the bondage of sin. We see your character and nature. We see your power to save and to preserve, and we give you praise. Receive our praise now as we lift it up in song. We glorify you, and we trust you for the ministry that you are doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.